Kilo. Alpha Papa Lima. Oscar. Whiskey. India. Tango Zulu. This is Kaplowitz Media via Kaplowitz Radio. www.kaplowitz.xyz. Bringing you gentle persons. This, the inaugural edition of an episodic adventure, I've decided to call Bean to Brew with me for the trip is Ken Fletcher of Paper Tiger Coffee Roasters. He, they can be found at papertigercoffee.com. And also, here, right now, how's it going, Ken? Fantastic. Cap, good morning to you. Oh, man, I, I got to tell you, good morning. And it's beautiful out today, which means my allergies are killing me because, you know, <laughs> Pacific Northwest. It but, is that time of year, right? It's, it is, it is, and it's thrilling stepping away from the weather. It's thrilling. This new recording platform I've chosen, it just spits you out of the gate. I feel like I'm a thoroughbred, except, you know, I'm not. But, <laughs> but we're going. We're good. I handled it well. So, like I said, um, and you could add your words to it, too, but basically what this is going to be for those gentle persons listening at home is Ken, mostly Ken, and I are going to be walking listeners through the process, just like it says, bean to brew, maybe even before bean, as we'll see in a little bit, and maybe even after brew, but bean to brew just sounds cool. And, Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, so that's what it's going to be. Every episode, a different look into the journey of the coffee to get to you, the drinker. Yep. Absolutely. We'll go over some different, uh, different flavor profiles that you get from the different regions and, and some of the reasons why they taste different. There's some debate among scholars on all the intricate details. but uh, Scholars. Scholars. Absolutely. Boy. Uh, <laughs> I better shine my shoes. I suddenly feel not up to test, but uh, okay. So scholar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Because I, I said shine my shoes, but in reality, I'm wearing a pair of fuzzy slippers. So that's a relief. But uh, so, so episode one, then we could safely say growing regions. And that's what we'll be talking about for the next hour or so. I like to keep it under an hour. And, um, Interest of full disclosure, I tapped Ken for this uh, for this project, and you, Ken, you just you jumped all over it and you sent me very like a lot of notes. I and I told you I never work with notes, but now I have notes. It's like a syllabus. Oh, this and, is a rough outline. Good grief! Like I said, there's some there's some folks out there that are literally scholars in this area and that's all they do is study and progress the different ways to grow coffee in the different regions and what Oof. kind of flavors are going to get out of it. wow so so where to begin since it's such a dense topic what, what's a good leaping off point a good springboard into it i would say the first question would be does coffee region actually affect the taste of the coffee and the absolute answer to that is yes 
Yeah, I don't think yeah. there's much debate wiggle room on that. I mean, even I've realized that. It's it's one of the first things you realize when you start taking coffee, I guess, seriously. And yeah, if you get past your basic French and Italian roast on the supermarket shelf, you're going to figure out real quick that there's a lot of flavors to coffee that you weren't expecting. Yeah, and sometimes, I, I mean, I've been drinking, I, what, do you, what do you, craft coffee, gourmet coffee? What, what, what's the nomenclature involved with that? But it's a step up from the supermarket shelf. And my my been, particular shop is considered a craft shop. Craft, I, and actually one of my favorite words. So we'll go with that. And um, I mean, I've been drinking coffee for a long time. And we'll say again, craft coffee for a long time. But just in the last year or so, I started writing about it, which means I'm exploring it more in depth. And man, it's startling the difference in growing regions and origin and origins. And uh, so where do you want to start? Do you want to start with a focus on Paper Tiger where you what regions you work in uh, with or how did you want to explore? Well, I mean, we can discuss what we do at the shop. I mean, it's. It's every farmer that we've been able to to hook up with over the years that we can buy direct from, and those that we can't, we have to get in in smaller micro lots from different feed brokers and what have you. Okay. Uh, but but we get coffees from, uh, let's see, Brazil, Ethiopia, Sumatra, Peru, Guatemala, Honduras, Kenya, Tanzania, Sumatra, India. Huh. I mean, we we get a little bit of something from all over the world. Well, let, let, let's start here then. Ethiopia. You mentioned Ethiopia. Ah, the it's, genesis of coffee. Exactly. It's the birthplace of coffee. And it's, um, it's also quite popular of an origin nowadays. Um, it, it's become more and more. Yes, indeed. And, and, and personally, I'm going to go on the record, not my favorite. I don't dislike it, but not my absolute favorite of the regions. And some of that might have to do with my cigar accompaniment. <laughs> Ethiopians are a little fruity, a little lighter, a little thinner. My experience different, you know. So, yeah. it, what what tastes good to you and I might not taste good to somebody who really likes that bright acidity that comes with a, a lot of African coffees. Exactly the acidity and the brightness, and uh, I mean, I don't know how in depth one hundred and one we have to go, but um, acidity, brightness. Two good words for you, gentle persons, to pick up if you're new to the world of coffee. And, and coffee, um, they are synonymous. And exactly, exactly. And usually, I would say you would see bright more than acidic, but at least in my notes and coffee notes that I've seen, it, it's a, a politically correct acidic. Is it, yeah, you know, like uh, yeah, acidic sounds like it might be battery acid when that's not the intent at all, typically. Right in describing kind of a, a, I don't know another word for bright, uh, a, a high profile, um, not dark, bright. I don't know. 101. Uh, Think fruity, citric floral. acids. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so the genesis of coffee, like we said, um, some of the lore behind it, of course, um, and I've talked about this before, one of the questions I get, is why all the goat references and well, there, there's the uh the okay. historical reference of, of goat herders noticing that their their flocks were getting a little more uh, <laughs> a little hyped, uh, up. Little hyped up <laughs> as they were moving around and they figured out they were eating this particular cherry bush and, and 
somehow slowly over the generations, it, it became this thing that we now drink today out of a cup. Yeah. And, and so to, to, to pinpoint what you would expect from an Ethiopian, um, generally, and this isn't true across the board, but if somebody says Ethiopian, things you could expect, that brightness that we talked about, I think yeah, I alluded to the fruity. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm not trying to walk on your on your your space there. No, uh, that's fine. Your, your I, Ethiopians tend to be more floral, uh, meaning when you smell it, you get a lot more happening. Uh, right. And then more fruit and berry tones that come through as a, as a finish on that taste. Uh, beautiful and and yeah and a lot of coffee is a lot like cigars and it's through the nose it's the aroma and and the finish and just like again like cigars if you look at any tasting wheel that you have for coffee uh you have them for wine uh i do believe there's something similar for cigars i don't know if there's a taste as well as an aroma on that one i I haven't Mm -hmm. studied that one well enough i apologize Sure. Some uh, yes, some no. To answer your question, there's there's a few floating around. Well, there's yeah. uh, the the coffee wheel. About half of it is dedicated to aromas huh. because your olfactory senses are tied directly into your taste buds. So the more you can smell, the more you can taste, uh, and the things that you smell affect the things that you taste. Right. So you're smelling more of a lavender tone in that coffee. You're, you're more apt to taste any lavender notes that are in it when you actually put it on your palate. Right. And, and not to get bogged down too much, but think of, uh, think of me with a stuffed nose because of the allergies. And right. everybody has had a stuffed nose. And when you eat with a stuffed nose, everything kind of tastes bland. Yes. And that's that. That's that. So, so, so growing in Ethiopia... Uh, what's that process of different varietals? I'm assuming there's a lot of heirloom varietals. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Ethiopia, now that it is considered the national treasure, coffee itself, hmm. uh, now that it's been proven that it is the genesis of all coffees, it's the origin point. Uh, the government now highly regulates how that coffee is taken care of. And in most cases, it's a completely natural process. The coffees grow uh, where they fall, the seeds grow where they fall. They they can't cross pollinate. They can't uh, huh. graft and take one. If if you know anything about horticulture, you can graft a branch off of one plant and graft it to another tree or bush, and within a few years they will merge and you'll have a slightly different product. Right. You, you can't do that in Ethiopia anymore. They want to preserve the Arabica typicas that they have and all the different varietals that they have there. That's, in it, that's interesting. I, I, I can't imagine everybody's on board with that philosophy. Oh no. And, and it's hard because right next door in Kenya, anything goes, you, you hmm. can graft, you can cross pollinate, you, you can do any of the horticultural moves to get a different flavor or a higher producing tree or a, uh, a larger berry, a, a smaller berry, whatever you're going for, you, you can graft and cross-pollinate and, and change the overall consistency of the plant. And with bees being what they are, they don't just stick to one area. So the things or the farms that are right along the, that border there aren't necessarily going to stay the typical or heirloom that they are. 
interesting. So, so working with something from Ethiopia with a bean from Ethiopia, how does it, how does it different? How do, basically, how do these regions differ from each other on top of discussing the characteristics of each individual one? How, right, how right. would it, how would it differ? We know now how it differs from Kenya. Uh, how does it differ from like an Indonesian situation or Central America or whatnot? Just, just go off, man. All right. So some, some of the basics on regions, we'll just kind of glaze over all those real quick. So you've got a, an idea as to why each of them are what they are. Right. Uh, your African Kati, as we've already discussed, are, are a little more acidic, uh, a little more floral and berry and citrus-like. But when you get into Indonesians, you're talking about a, a sweet earthiness that comes through. Uh, it, it's a little bolder on the finish. It tends to last on the palate a little longer. Uh, it's got more body, which is a, another term for having a little more oil content to the seed. Right. More robust is my initial thought with Indonesian coffees compared to Ethiopians, especially. Definitely. Uh, and, and part of that is the roast level that you put it to in the finish as well. Uh, but, but you definitely get the oil content in there is much higher. So you get a much stronger taste overall versus uh, an Ethiopian where you get that really bright initial hit and then it kind of wavers off quickly. Uh, and most coffees outside of, of Ethiopia and Kenya and Tanzania, Rwanda, you know, the whole growing regions there, you do have more oil content to them. So they tend to last longer on the palate. Number one, hmm. uh, if you go into central and South American coffees, you tend to get really, higher uh, or much higher oil contents and you get a lot more uh, cocoa tones to them. Right. Uh, personal favorites are, are generally from that region. I, I like that cocoa taste that backs up the coffee. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think, I think we share a palate because Central America is where I'd like to live coffee wise. And, yeah. uh, a, a, and on top of that oil content of Central America, it's it, typically to me, they're also structured quite well, meaning that it's not just flat when you drink it. It's not broad on your tongue or whatever you want to say. It's structured right. really well, and there's like some woodsiness, some smokiness to it that really carries it really well as a profile. So if somebody is looking to get me a gift, get me some coffee <laughs> from Central America. <laughs> well, yeah, and you're talking about a very uh, a volcanic, rich soil region. So you've got tons of nutrients in, in the hills and the mountains there that those seeds are, are drawing off of as they root. And you get a really hearty, rich flavor that comes through. And a lot of times uh, you, you still get the fruit and floral notes that are there. Right. Uh, but the, the overall oil content and those bold, rich, even sugary, not even honey, but more of a, a caramel type taste comes through on those real nice. Almost like a molasses. Yeah, you can get some really good molasses type flavors out of them too. And what's the what's the situation growing there? It's an excellent growing region. Generally, you want your coffee, most all coffee has to grow between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, right? It needs to be near the equator, uh, where the temperatures are warm, but it needs to be at a higher altitude, especially for Arabicas. Robustas can grow uh, at a bit lower altitude, but the Arabicas, which tend to have a bit more flavor profile to them, 
more sought after flavor profile to them. Uh, you, you need a higher altitude. It makes those seeds have to struggle to survive a little bit more. And when they have to struggle, they hold on to the sugars, the oils, the nutrients as they're growing. And that all gotcha. comes up. Gotcha. Uh, especially so, when you're in a high volcanic soil area. Right. So, so world tour, where's, where are we now? I guess from Central America, South America. Yeah, is a nice it's South America. Over. Again, you get a lot of cocoa and vanilla tones that are coming through there. There's a lot of rich volcanic soil in the, in the region there as well. Uh, you know, you, you get Peruvians, you get Colombians, uh, you're Brazil, the largest coffee producing country on the planet. Uh, hmm. Second or uh, right behind that's actually Vietnam of all places, even though being small, uh, the conditions are re- conditions are really great for some really good Robustas that are coming out of there these days. Yeah, and let's touch a bit on Robustas, the distinction between Robustas and Arabica, since this is kind of like a 101. The the short discussion on it, it would be uh, Arabicas tend to have more flavor profile and less caffeine. Your your typical coffees that you get off the shelf are going to be Arabicas here in the States. Uh, When you're looking at coffees with uh, claims of having way Hmm. more caffeine than anybody else, uh, I'm not going to say anybody's name just because I don't want them to <laughs> because I said anything, but uh, th- those ones that claim that, you know, are you mad enough for our coffee type scenario? Uh, right. Those gen- generally are Robustas and a, and a Robusta seed has two and a half to three times on average, the caffeine content of an Arabica, but the flavor profile tends to suffer. Yeah. The, the way I think of it is Robusta is kind of the bull in the China shop that is Arabica. And you don't get a lot of gentle subtleness from a sledgehammer uh, approach that that bean tends to deliver. But yeah, you do get a lot of, a lot of caffeine. And, yeah, and cultivation, you... that, that is changing. They are getting some better flavor profiles coming through. Just like with the Arabicas, they've started to cross-pollinate and graft and get better flavor profiles. They're, they're still not scoring, you know, in the high 80s and 90s on right. the score chart like an Arabica will. But you're getting coffees that are actually palatable at a much lower <laughs> rate, whereas before they just were, were rough. Yeah. Rough. That's that's an excellent term. And I, I guess it sticks in my mind. That's what I think of it. But I am aware of some advancements. And another spot, which I'm going to totally throw it to you on, because I'm going to uh, just unabashedly state my ignorance, uh, Pacific and Caribbean islands. Right. So, again, highly volcanic soils. Uh, and then you've got a particular strain down there, a varietal of Arabica known as the Blue Mountain, which you find mostly in, in the, the Jamaican countries, or Jamaican countries. Yeah. Speaking mm-hmm. can I? Uh, but really flavorful, growing in a, a very volcanic soil, rich in nutrients. So you're getting all kinds of great flavor profiles that come through that, especially when it's roasted properly. Uh, I've had some that's been well roasted and just thoroughly loved it. And I've had others that were a little overroasted in my opinion and you lose all those wonderful notes that are there at that point so okay so roasting geez it, it's a, it this is gonna this is gonna take a while working from yeah. from bean to brew considering we're not really even on bean yet 
no, we're, no, still we're still building talking dirt. Region. region has a ton of effect on it. And there's you also have to take into consideration that there's literally dozens of varietals of Arabica coffees as well as Robusta coffees in each strain there. Uh, in, in Arabicas, you've got Bourbons and Keturahs and Geishas and, and the, the list just goes on and on. Uh, and each one of those produces a different flavor profile in and of itself, just like you have grapes in different regions of France that are going to give you a different kind of wine in the end. Mm. The, the, the coffees and their different strains also give you a different flavor. So if you take that a Bourbon and you grow it in four different regions, you're literally going to have four different flavor profiles on that same coffee seed. <laughs> So altitude, latitude within the regions. Yep. Also weather. weather what factor does weather play? It's an organic growing substance. It's a crop. So if the weather conditions are right, you've got the right amount of sun, the right amount of rain, the, the temperatures are good, you're going to have a much better final cup. Uh, if the sun is just beating down on the plants, coffee's do prefer to be uh, partial shade. You, you don't want them fully shaded. They do need some sunlight like any other plant to grow, but uh, they do not want to get just beat by sun all day, every day. A lot of coffee farms in high sun regions, you'll see plant things like banana trees next to them to shade. Okay. I was going to ask if they ever do any, uh, and we've talked to, uh, again, if you listen to Capulet's radio and why wouldn't you? Ken has been on before and we kind of got into this and then we decided there was so much to get into that it kind of birthed this whole project. But I asked a question before, uh, tobacco, very similar again, and they grow under tents, they grow under right. cloth, but uh, I guess banana, banana, planting banana trees will do the same thing. And yeah, you get a nice big canopy above that gives a good amount of shade to the seeds during the day or the cherries during the day as they're growing. So what's so what's next? Uh, let's see. Another region we can talk about is the Middle East. Uh, you know, Yemen, Saudi Arabia. Uh, really, really complex cups of coffee come out of there, and uh, and, and, and also very robust at the same time. Yes, uh, some of the most sought after coffees in the world. Uh, you may have seen the book The Monk of Mocha going around uh, of late. Mm. Uh, that particular strain that they have going right now literally changes flavor every couple degrees as the coffee cools off in your cup. That's amazing. Uh, you, you pay the price for it. I mean, uh, I brought in a, a small amount of it this year, and just to hit a break-even point, we had to charge about $20 for every four-ounce bag. Jeez. It, it was ridiculously expensive, but ridiculously good so it was I, I felt it was worth it so so and i'm sure it was and i look forward to you sending me some <laughs> i would if i could <laughs> <laughs> that stuff went off the shelf so fast <laughs> but so i think we've covered all the regions of correct me if i'm wrong uh, but but these are from a single origin approach there's also, of course, blending. Just again, to my cigar listeners, like tobacco, 
you get yep. some cigars that employ I don't know five different countries and growing regions within each one. It's 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 a lot. It's it's almost more often that than a single origin. So when you're looking, Ken, to blend, are there a couple uh, places, a couple of regions that uh, famously work well together that, that set each other up nicely? Right, right. Um, so one of the most common blended seeds that you're going to find is the Brazilian. Uh, number one, it's plentiful. But number two, it gives you that really good base to start from. You've got the strong coffee flavors. You've got a good amount of oil. You've got a good amount of sugar. And then you've got the cocoa tones that come through. Okay. So you take a good portion of that and say you want to add in a little more acidity to it to brighten it up. And so you grab something from one of the African regions that's got the nice kind of fruit and floral tones that you want to it. If you want like a chocolate orange flavor you find something that's got more orange zest type flavor profile to it out of, out of Africa. And that's the one that you add. So, so enhancing with an eye on, of course, balance, because without balance, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's bound to be terrible. I mean, I talk about this in cigars as well. It's all about balance and it never gets mentioned enough. People mention complexity, but if you have complexity without balance, it's a cacophony. It, it's, it's not good. It's not kind. Yeah, if you've ever taken a bite of something and, and it's just absolutely been over-seasoned and, and you can't even tell if it's supposed to be an Italian dish or a Greek <laughs> dish or, or if it actually has some curry in it as well, that it, it gets too complex at times if it's not well-balanced and thought out. So, so what other regions play well together? Uh, Papua New Guinea can add a lot of different tones in there uh, sumatra is an excellent one to either add to or start with as a base as well that sweet earthiness that comes through uh, for those that don't know what i mean by earthiness uh <laughs> it's going to sound awkward when you're talking about a taste profile <laughs> but if you ever walk through a freshly rained on forest and you kind of kick the leaves up and you get that sweet aroma that comes up that's the sweet earthiness flavor profile that we're talking about. You can almost taste it when you're walking through a freshly rained on forest like that. Exactly. And, and again, same in cigars and it's a stumbling point for the, for new readers of tasting notes to hear things like manure and right. compost cited as good. Uh, but it, it's, it's like that. It really is. And, and I'd say without that, you don't have much without a decent amount of earthiness, that's kind of like, to me, the, the foundation of everything. So yeah, the, the earthy tones just add such a great dimension to any cup of coffee. That's why Sumatran coffee is one of the most sought after in the world. So, so, so which region is a pain in the ass to play with since I like being negative or so I've been told. <laughs> Personally, I mean, the, the African coffees for me, they're, they're not horrible by any means. But the ones that I usually have to finesse the most while I'm roasting, make more adjustments to my flame, more adjustments to my airflow, uh, really kind of coax them into that final flavor profile. Th those ones tend to be a little more finicky and, and take a little more discipline to get them just right. Uh, everything else, you've got to finesse, you've got to work, you've got to get those flavor profiles built as you're roasting it. But for me, the, the Ethiopians, the Kenyans, the Tanzanians, they, they just 
tend to need a little more babysitting to get them just right in the end. Huh. Wow. So we've covered the regions, we've covered the weather, the altitude, the latitude. I'm working straight from your syllabus that you were kind enough to put together and send me. Well, what else? One of us is looking at it. <laughs> Do, well, you wrote it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm just a reader. I, I'm, I'm yeah. about 40% audience right about now. Yeah. So wh what else do we need to throw in here? So other things to consider are the, uh, the actual flora and fauna that are alive and well in the particular regions that are going on. If you've got a, a coffee plantation that's growing a specific, any particular coffee that they're growing, uh, if you've got, say, vanilla beans growing nearby, that as they mulch it back into the soil, that's going to get sucked into the, the coffee plants as well. And you're going to pick up some of that. If you've got things, uh, you know, citrus plants, be it uh, an orange tree or, you know, if you got something more like a, a papaya or a cherry growing nearby, that's going to mulch into the soil. And that's some of the flavors that are going to start to impart on that coffee over the years. So, so you're talking farm to farm within growing regions. So it's not farm as to farm. Like just you know natural regions when you're talking about places like uh, central and south america where you get a lot of cocoa growing anyways even in the wild mm -hmm. if it's growing nearby on the hillside it's going to impart some of that flavor uh, you know the different flowers and, and bushes that are growing nearby uh, especially as the coffee is drying after you've picked it and, and you're drying that coffee out to get it ready for shipping uh Coffee's highly absorbent to other aromas. Hmm. So it's constantly absorbing all those wonderful notes that are coming through the air. Sometimes it's not the notes you want too. you know, if you get in really smoggy regions, uh, you can pick up some of that kind of stuff. That's why like, uh, for instance, in India, if you're talking about a monsoon Malabar, hmm. you get a really fantastic profile unless it's been cured too close to the city. And then you get that smog that comes through and kind of permeates the seed. And then you get this funky tasting Malabar. You're like, what happened? I paid extra money for this <laughs> it's because it wasn't dried properly. And now how much of that is surprise? And, uh, but like how much could you hedge your bets on surprise by dealing with the same people? Like in other words, the consistency, consistency is always key you know when you find a farm that is actually doing what they say they're doing and you're getting consistent crop from them every year and you know that they're carrying it properly you know that they're picking it properly you know that they're taking care of their plants you know that they're taking care of their drying beds you know uh, when somebody's doing a good job those are the kind of people you want to stick with and work with as much as possible so it's more on the processing end from what I'm hearing than from the actual growing end at that point. And well, the growing has to be done properly. You know, you, you want well, somebody that's out there checking the trees all the time and the bushes all the time to make sure there's no Roya, uh, which is but a, it, but it doesn't end there. It's far from yeah, ending there. Yeah. They, the farmers literally have to pick where they're going to plant those trees. They've got to cultivate those trees. They've got to get everything growing right. And then once they actually start harvesting the seeds, they, they've got to process them properly. There's multiple ways to process it as well. Uh, you can leave a pulp natural where you 
or a natural where you just leave everything there. Uh, the seed, the, the berry, the skin on the berry, you leave everything, you let it dry and you get kind of a fermented flavor off of that. You take that same seed and you just peel the skin and leave the pulp on there in a honey process. Uh, as it dries, it picks up some of that fermentation, but it dries much quicker without the skin on there. So you don't get as much, or you can do a washed process where you literally wash the seeds of all the pulp and skin. And that same seed is going to taste a different way by the end. So, it, it, you know what, let's, let's go down there. We've only been talking for about a half hour. Do you yeah. want to touch more on processing or should we make that a different entry we into this process? Yeah, so the processings, uh, each one of those, as I just said, gives you a different flavor profile. Some farms stick to one way. That's the way they've done it. And they've got a solid product that way. And they they know we're going to get what we get out of it. And, and I enjoy a lot of those. Others are trying to test the boundaries. Hmm. Uh, you've got some farms that are now taking their crops and dividing them up and splitting so we'll, we'll keep the numbers easy. We'll go a third each, right? right? Take a third of their crop and leave it natural process, meaning the cherry is on the seed once they pick it and it dries that way. Then they'll take a third of it and they'll do a honey process where they just peel the skin, let it dry that way. And then they'll wash the remaining third and let it dry that way. And then they put it back together afterwards and you get a much more complex single origin that way. Uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Now, what is when you say drying? Just for again, for the one on one approach, what, what's the? They literally, literally are dry. drying. Uh, well, they don't let it. You uh, you have to actually lay it out on a giant platform or tarp or raised beds, depending on what region and how they're they're drying their seeds. Uh, but. For instance, uh, one of the farms that we work with has a giant concrete platform about the size of a football field. And they will take a rake, multiple rakes, because there will be multiple people doing this, and they start at one end, and they rake the seeds all the way up and down the entire length of that platform. And then they go back to the beginning, and they start over with that rake, and they start stirring those seeds again. You agitate them a little bit, keep them rolling around. That way the sun is hitting multiple portions of the seed and not just one part or cherry, depending on which process they're using. Right. So it's an, so it evenly dries out to, to dry evenly. Yes. Uh, when you're talking about tons of coffee cherries, it, it's kind of, you, you can't <laughs> a bunch and hope that they dry. Right. It's not like a tobacco leaf where you can, you know, lay them on the rafters and the racks and all the lines up there. These have to actually be stirred and moved constantly wow. for, for days until they're actually dried out proper. Wow. So that's the, yeah, that is a little bit more involved manually than the, like you said, putting it in a pilone and letting it sit there in a tobacco and, house, like, you know, like cigar world. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. It just, it's, it's gotta be done. And that's one of the things that the farmers do. Uh, now, when once they've figured out, they take they usually take the ones that are doing multiple pro, or, uh, processes, like we're discussing right at this moment. Uh, they're taking small portions, a few pounds of each, and drying them in the different fashions, and then they're blending them together in the proper ratios early on in the season with the very first portion of the harvest, 
And once they know what the approximate ratio is going to be, say they need 20% of a natural and 15% of a honey, and, and then the remaining, what, 65% or so being natural or a wash process, then they blend it together and they know they've got a solid product to offer somebody. Wow. They, they don't just do it willy nilly. They're actually doing multiple tests on this. And, and honestly, I didn't know that until right now. It's so, a, so the blending process starts pretty quickly with, with some of the farms. Not all the farms are doing this yet. You know, like I said, some of the, some of the farms are still doing what they know because it works. If it's not broke, why don't fix, fix it? it. Exactly. Right? But then exactly. you've got other people that are trying to push the limits and have the next latest, greatest scenario. It uh, will. Do you think it's worth it? Sometimes? Yes. I've come across some that have been, have multiple processes and really, really love the final flavor. Uh, but again, it's, it's not a science that is, you know, uh, a plus B equals C. Right. You've got to do taste tests with it and you've got to roast it in different fashions. You've got to do all these different techniques to get it to where it is finally. And if you're not roasting in the same kind of fashion as they tried it at the farm, it's not going to taste the same you're not going to get what their intent was. Right. Uh, what kind of communication is there in that process? When you, when you get this and you're ready to roast it, does it come ever with instructions or how does that <laughs> next, work? Next to never, next to never. Uh, yeah. A lot of times you get a recommendation saying this one tastes really good at a, a city roast or at a French roast. If they're telling me it tastes good at a French roast for, for me, that means that that's, got some underlying issues and I'm going to stay away from that one. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> Starbucks. Uh, uh, a French roast <laughs> is a polite way of saying we've burned this coffee just a little bit. So you don't notice any of the little inconsistencies. Exactly. Exactly. Burns so is the first year that you get. And being as you're a roaster, of course, I think that uh, before you go any further into that, I think that should be its own entry. Into oh, absolutely. This. Yeah. So, I guess for, are you comfortable with what we covered for now? And then we'll go ahead and say that the next entry will be the roasting process. Or is there anything else you wanted to put a finer point on that we discussed just now? Well, I mean, there, there are a couple steps in between uh, and we can just glaze over those real quick. Like I said, coffee is highly absorbent to other aromas. So getting that coffee from said farm to the drying facility, to the shipping facility and then on a ship and here to the States or wherever it's going, any little problem along the way is going to affect that flavor. If you put it in a dirty old truck, that's got some diesel fuel spilt or it's got a bad air filter on it and it's just pumping diesel fumes behind it. That coffee is going to uh, absorb some of that flavor. Wow. You get the, the cargo containers and that cargo containers got a little ding in it and there's some salt air coming through that salt air flavor is going to be imparted onto the coffee seeds. Uh, you know, any little glitch along the way can ruin what was a really good growing season. So what, what, safe, what safeguards are taken or is it kind of a crapshoot to a certain extent? The logistical well, part of it. Shoot. I mean, you know, when, when you're looking at places like India where the coffee literally has to be hiked down on people's backs or on the backs of the animals, it can take a while to get to the base and it doesn't always make it there in the best of conditions. 
So when you get a really good Indian coffee, you want to just love the heck out of that and spread the word about it. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's gone. Uh, Brazil, most of the infrastructure there was built by the the plantations. Roads were built by rubber plantations and coffee plantations. So Hmm. there is infrastructure. You can get it on a truck and get it down there quick. Uh, It, it, It all sounds maddening. It is. There's a million ways to ruin a good coffee and getting a good one in the end is actually, it's a lot harder than it. There's a million ways to ruin it and there's no way to fix it once it's so bad. You sound half exasperated just thinking about it. <laughs> Sorry for chuckling at that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> myself because it is just, you, when you when you think about the scope from actually getting that seed off that tree and into somebody's cup and handing them a, a tasty beverage. It's pretty impressive that we can get any at all. That's good as much less as much as we get every year. Right. And, and consistently. So again, yeah. it's all it, like with any crop, tobacco, coffee, the consistency is key. And there's so Absolutely. many hiccups along the way that could potentially be well, drastic. That devastating. It, devastating. So uh, you know, if there's nothing else to touch on, we're going to leave it here and say roasting next. Is that fair to say, Ken? Yeah, I like that idea. All right, cool. And I look forward to the roasting syllabus that you'll email me so I can pretend <laughs> that I know anything about what we're talking about. And in the interim, I'm going to take a Benadryl nap. Yeah. Jeez. Those allergies down a bit. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful day out, and that's the good news. Absolutely. The bad news is I'm going to be sleeping through about three quarters of it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Welcome to the Pacific tomorrow, Northwest. Right. Uh, so thank you all for listening at home, gentle persons. And I hope you heard something that you didn't hear before. And I hope you come back to hear more things you didn't hear before. And Ken, thanks a lot. And uh, you know what? Give yourself a shout out. Where could I mention your site at the top of the show? Where else can we find you online? Paper yeah, besides online, papertigercoffee.com, you can find us at 703 Grand Boulevard, Vancouver, Washington, 98661, as well as about uh, 20 other locations throughout the Pacific Northwest that are serving our coffee. Awesome. That's great. And there's only one location to find Kaplowitz Media, and that's at K-A-P-L-O-W-I-T-Z dot X-Y-Z. And uh, from there, you can find my dedicated coffee blog that's in its nascent it's its growth period right now and that's where this will be embedded this whole series this is kind of a kickoff to that and ken thank you for helping me with that and uh, awesome have a good rest of the day man i appreciate the time cheers you as well we'll chat soon all right thanks man and thanks everyone for listening at home